Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. This edition of the PK Podcast was supported by Gemline. Gemline keeps you on trend, on time, and on budget with four product launches a year and inspiring seasonal trends. They offer a broad selection of products to fit any budget. Their brand partnerships with Isaac Mizrahi, Bobble, Brookstone, Igloo, Moleskin, Lamy, and Zebra provide more exciting branding solutions than ever before. Please be sure to visit their website at gemline.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew and Right Sleeve, and I'm joined by my good friend and fellow chef, Larry Cohen, president of Axis Promotions in New York City. Today, our guest is Karen Kopp. Karen joins us to explore the world of business development, how to get in the door, and how to develop a compelling sales pipeline that will take your company from zero to 100. Let me tell you a little bit more about Karen. Karen is the chief door opener at Cop Consulting, whose door opener service has helped thousands of business owners and salespeople secure initial meetings with high-level decision makers in almost every major Fortune 500 company, including P&G, Pfizer, Verizon, and CBS, to name a few. Karen is a nationally recognized speaker and an expert in business development. Karen has been interviewed on the Wall Street Journal Morning Radio Show and published in India's The Economic Times newspaper. She is also the author of The Path to the Cash, which has become the go-to book for getting in the door with sales prospects. Karen is an MBA of NYU's Stern School of Business, majoring in marketing. She earned her undergraduate degree from Babson College, where she double majored in marketing and communications. She has won countless awards and has become a sought-after expert in the field of sales performance. Needless to say, Larry Cohen and I are not worthy, and it's hard to believe that we've been able to secure Karen for this podcast. So with that, Karen, we are very humbled and honored to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you, and thank you for that very wonderful introduction. Much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are, we're really, really excited to have you here, and I think it'll be an action-packed next 45 minutes or so. I'm going to start off with an easy one for you, Karen. Do you want to tell our listeners what got you into the sales consulting business in the first place? Your path, if you will. My path to the cash. Yeah. Uh, well, my background is consumer packaged goods brand management and sales business development from the time I graduated college and all the way up. Although what I should tell you, and I'm not sure if Larry knows this story or not, is that my very first cold calling job was when I was 11. Hmm. I was babysitting for a particular family that owned a franchise for Lawn Doctor. Do you remember those people who call and ask you for free lawn evaluations? Oh, yeah. So when I'm 11, they said, hey, you have a good phone voice. Why don't you pick up the phone book and see if you can get us some lawn evaluations? So I started doing that, and I won awards at that early age, and who would know that that would lead me here? But uh, my world of sales and marketing has led me here, and I came up with the idea for Cop Consulting and the door opener service, actually in the bathroom of a gym where all great 
ideas come from, but somebody had called out at one point, I have a promotion agency, and does anybody want to work part-time? And I had taken a year off at that point to have my second child, and I came out and I said, well, I think I'm overqualified, but let's have a conversation. So we talked, and I didn't want to do the administrative work that she was hoping for, but I said to her, here's something that I might be able to do for a consulting rate. Mm. How would it be if I got you in the door with the prospects that you want to meet? Mm. And her reaction just told me everything. She just dropped her jaw and she said, you would do that? You can get me in the door? And I said, sure, that's easy for me. And she said, great, when can you start? And that was the birth of this business. That was 16 years ago. Wow. Are you able to provide context for our listeners? Are you able to walk us through the process of what a typical engagement with COP looks like? Can you detail out a little bit more about what, it, what you exactly mean by a door opener service and how someone in the promotional products industry might utilize a service like that? Sure. So our job for our clients is to find in the market the decision makers who have money to spend on what our clients have to sell. So we're looking for those, usually the big opportunities, who is the right decision maker, the one with the authority to sign, and then what we do is we'll open up communication with that decision maker on our client's behalf, representing our client as if we were a member of our client's company. So we open up that dialogue, find out what the opportunity is, and then if we feel it's a good strategic fit for our client to meet that prospect, we'll go ahead and secure either an in-person meeting or a conference call with whatever our client wants, and then our client will take the relationship from there and go ahead and close the sales after that. Hmm. So let's say someone in the promotional products industry wants to meet the directors of marketing in the top consumer packaged goods companies like Procter & Gamble and Clairol and Mattel and some of the other ones, then we'll find out who those right people are We'll open up the conversation. If there's an opportunity, we secure the meeting, and then our client goes on that meeting. So what happens for our client is that they open up their email and they see new meeting scheduled, Procter & Gamble, Director of Marketing, Thursday at 10. And the next day they open up their email and they have another one of those meetings scheduled. Hmm. And then we say who it is and the level. And then we confirm the meeting. We take it right up until our client walks through the door or gets on the phone. One thing that's interesting about that is, is that people in our industry, and I think many industries, struggle with getting the door open. And I know that one of the other areas they struggle for many people sometimes is the close. And what I found interesting when we were talking to you is that your involvement doesn't end when you help get them to meeting. It's, it's what you do even once you've gotten them that meeting and the consultations that you have with them about making sure that they do close because if you're going to be in business for 16 plus years and I think you had mentioned that you've had 74% growth year over year. Do you want to talk about a little bit about expand on that in terms of what you do that goes kind of above and beyond giving someone a name and an appointment? Yeah, sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because we can get somebody a wonderful appointment, but if the person who goes on the appointment from our client's company doesn't do a great job in the meeting or they don't do a great job in the follow-up or the close, their sales cycle will either take longer or there's a potential that it won't close. So what we do is we want to give our clients every possible opportunity to close. Our structure is that we hire very senior level business developers who have also held decision maker roles in corporations. So they've sat on both sides of the selling desk 
the, the client as well as the potential vendor, and they understand what it's like to get a new vendor approved, what it's like to overturn the current solution. And so that makes them very successful, not only getting in the door, but understanding what needs to happen after that. So what we'll do is when we do book the meetings for our clients is we'll help them prepare. What questions should they ask when they first sit down in a meeting? What should they present? What should they not present? What should they have in their bag just in case? What are the answers for the objections that they'll face in the meeting? And what are some of those closing questions? And one of the things that we always train our clients is my mantra, which is date and time, date and time, date and time. There's always a date and time for every step in the sales process. Yep. And so what we're looking for with our clients is that they don't walk out of a meeting without a date and time on the calendar for the next step, right. which helps to shorten the sales cycle too. It's almost like you're playing that virtual sales manager role, which is kind of interesting. Larry, I had a question for you, and I should have said this at the introduction, that Larry, you've been a client of Karen's for the last several years, and I know that people in the industry are very familiar with Axis, and I'm sure a lot of people hold you up in high regard, and and I'm wondering whether you'd be at liberty to talk about you know, an actual example where this has worked and been successful for you in terms of how you know, you've used a door opening service like, like Karen's, how it's either empowered yourself or a salesperson to go in and land that Fortune 500 company. Like, was it as good as Karen is talking about from a theoretical perspective? Like, did it actually translate into success in reality? I would say emphatically, yes. I mean, one thing that I love about Karen is less about theory that it is about the practicality of all the things that you need to do. Yep. She's very good about laying out the steps and the follow-up. So we've used her on a number of levels. On one level, she's worked with a very senior person here in terms of the door opener service, and she was very successful at getting us in. She portrays herself as a member of Axis and just says, well, I'm actually sending the most senior person on our sales team to meet with you. People are usually happy to hear that the owner's coming or the, the partner's coming to see them, so it's usually not an objectionable thing that she's doing. And it's been very successful getting things in. And then the other thing that she's done for us beyond the door opener service is, is that she's actually come in and has done training both in person and over the phone because the things that she has identified in her own employees in terms of their skill set are transferable and things that can be taught to other people that have the thick skin and, and the ability to communicate and taking them through what are the steps, what are the objections, you know, what is the proper follow-up pace. Karen is the master of coming up with the ways to get beyond the gatekeeper or when you should be calling so that you don't get the gatekeeper but maybe you get the owner. She'll say, you know, the day before a holiday, call at 5 o'clock because people are gone but the owner is probably staying late. Yep. You know, and they'll pick up the phone. So she's done that. And then the last thing she's done is she's done kind of like this podcast a little bit. She's created some educational podcasts for us that were just short 10-minute pieces of the sales process that were broken down in very practical, actionable steps that mm. we have and encourage our sales team to listen to and to try to implement. So she's been, I think, part of our success. And there, there are people here that still call her for like a refresher. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting hearing some of those practical success stories in terms of how you can translate sales coaching or business development services into sales success. So that's great. Karen, I've got a question for you. So I think this is a good segue. You've been at this your entire career. I'm dying to know what you feel are the three most common mistakes salespeople make when they're selling to prospects. Well, 
That's a great question, but I can't stick to only three. <laughs> no problem. There's, there's more than three, but I think I can stick to five. Okay. Five of the top ones. And when I finish telling you what they are, what people will understand is that they're fairly easy to fix. That's what kills me when I'm training salespeople and when I'm listening to them is that some of the things that they're doing wrong are pretty easy to fix if they're willing to just make some tweaks. It's not an overhaul. It's tweaks, but they don't see it. And sometimes their sales managers don't see it either. There is a process to business development. Mm -hmm. And if you follow the process, you will be successful. If you don't follow the process, you may be successful, but it's going to be by luck. Mm. It's not going to be by design, and not everybody is lucky. So here, here are the three, well, five, actually. <laughs> the first one is that sellers will often fail to really think about and understand their prospect as a person. This person, even though this person is a lead and a decision maker and all of those other non-human kinds of words, this is a person with hopes and dreams and desires. This person goes to work every day for a reason. Hmm. And if the sellers could really understand why this person does what he or she does, they will be more successful in using words and phrases and approaches that will help that prospect know that the seller is just trying to help them hmm. to have a better life. Right. And if they can get at that, then they will win every time. Hmm. So that's the first thing. And usually sellers are just too busy and they're moving too fast to think about their prospects as people. The second piece is the, the sellers will get busy and they lose track of their follow-up. And either they call too late or they don't call at all. So they'll spend all of this time developing a proposal and then they don't follow up on it because they just got busy with something else and forgot. They don't follow our mantra of date and time, date and time, date and time. So when they're in a meeting, they'll close up for next steps. People are pretty good at that. But then they don't say, let's take the phones out and put a date and time on the calendar for a next step, even if the next step is just a 10-minute check-in call. Hmm. Most people, even senior sellers, do not do that. And that is a big missed opportunity. It elongates the sales cycle, and sometimes it creates a lot of unnecessary back and forth, following up, email, 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 voicemail, voicemail, and just putting the date and time on the calendar will solve that. That's true, too, for a proposal. When someone asks you for a proposal, ask for a date and time to review it and talk about the next step. Because at the time of the request, the prospect will put the date and time for the follow-up on the calendar. But if you don't ask for the date and time, then that can go on for months. Mm -hmm. After you spent all this time and, and you don't get your follow-up. The fourth one is they rely too heavily on email, mm -hmm. especially the younger sellers. They will hide behind email. If they're selling to younger buyers, that might not be as big a problem as if they're selling to buyers who are more senior. If they're selling to the buyers who are more senior, they're looking for a relationship, and email doesn't do it. There's the whole human element is missing from the email. I like to say email does half the job and 50% is an F. Hmm. So they need to be more comfortable adding in voice. And the fifth one is that in an initial meeting, the most important thing to do in the beginning of an initial meeting is ask two to three strategically thought out what I call high-gain questions. And too many people don't ask any questions 
when they get into a, a meeting. Mm. And you can find out all sorts of things, like what is the decision process here? What is your role here? Who else needs to be involved should you decide that this is the right solution for you? All of those things. And then people will tell me, oh, I found out there was another decision maker too late in the process. Mm. Well, if they asked the question, they would have known who the decision makers were. So if I had to choose five, those are my five. So if we had to flip it and look at it from the other direction, and maybe this is just maybe this relates to the five things, the mistakes they make, is when you go into the meeting, since you have sat on the other side of this, what do you think corporate prospects really want when we walk into their office? Well, it's interesting because I've been a corporate prospect because I, I used to be a consumer packaged brand manager, but I've also done some research on this recently. And in preparation for a seminar that I gave a couple of months ago, I polled several high-level decision makers in Fortune 500 companies, and I asked them exactly this, what do you want from the salespeople when they approach you? And they said a couple of things very important to them. They want the sellers to understand the corporation and them as people, their background, what they're responsible for ahead of the time of the initial meeting. They want to know that the sellers have done their research. They want clear, succinct, and concise, customized messages. And I can't stress the word customized enough. They get a lot of email marketing. People will send the same email that's not customized to a 1,000 people. Well, the decision makers are telling me they know that. They know that they receive the same email as a 1,000 other people, and they don't like it. Mm. They want their communication to be customized. They want relationships with these potential vendors. They said the only way that they could develop trust enough to give their business, especially if it's a lot of business, to a seller is if there is a relationship. Mm. And often the sellers don't want to take that extra step, but the decision makers are saying they want it. They also want the sellers to understand that not every decision maker is looking for a new supplier. They think that some of the sellers assume that every one of them is looking for a new supplier, but that's not always true. Sometimes they're really happy with the supplier they have, and they want to stay with that supplier, and they want that position to be respected. So they, they asked for that. Uh, Follow-up frequency, they ask that the sellers ask them, what kind of frequency to follow up with. Should it be once a month? Should it be once every three months? Would they prefer email or voicemail or connecting through the assistant? So they would like to be asked about that. Mm. And then they also, they're saying to, especially to the business owners, make sure that the right person in your organization is doing the selling. This was really eye-opening for me, is that the decision makers feel badly when a vendor doesn't get the business when they should have gotten the business because the seller makes missteps and then costs the company the business when they really should have gotten it. And they don't want to see that happen. So they're asking to make sure that the right person is doing the selling from the organization. I thought that was interesting. The interesting about what you're saying is, is and Mark and I have been at a number of conferences together, and one of the complaints you often hear is that it's so much more difficult today to get beyond a gatekeeper or to make that personal connection with somebody. And I think the interesting thing is is that from your research, it shows that it is building a relationship and it is understanding the person and the corporation. And this period in time may be the easiest it's ever been to actually understand what a corporation is all about because of all the social media and the web stuff that's available. 
You can understand yeah. what the person is all about through, again, social media and LinkedIn and Facebook and all this, these other things. Mm. And so you can do your research a lot easier today than you could back when we were all getting started and there was nothing out there but maybe microfiche. Mm. True. And you can weave that into your message also to customize it. Like one of the ways that our door openers do that when they're approaching our clients' prospects is by saying, we'll do their research, anything on the Internet. There's so much out there. And they'll say to a prospect, I was reading that you are participating in this kind of conference or I was reading that your company is facing this kind of challenge and that made me think that it's important for us to get together and talk about this because. Mm. So they'll say, this is what prompted my call and this is why I feel it's important that we have the meeting to discuss it. And the closer they are to what the prospect really cares about, the more likely they're going to get either a call back or just an email back saying, yes, let's go ahead and meet. But the customization really is important. Karen, one of the things that we've explored or one of the themes that we've explored in Promo Kitchen over the last several years has been this cracking the uh, the millennial nut, so to speak, how to sell to younger millennial customers that are now in positions of authority to be able to buy promotional products. And you'd mentioned it, I think, an answer or two ago about how email may work more with millennial customers or younger customers. I'm curious about diving a little bit deeper into this with you. Have you found with your door opener service that pitching a younger customer is different than pitching an older customer and where are those those differences and is there advice that you'd give for people that are looking to sell to that 25-year-old as well as a 55-year-old? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think my answer is not going to be the answer that most people are going to expect, but it is the answer just based on our experience. Yeah. And that is the millennial also responds to the relationship, but the relationship is formed in a different way. And what we find is that with that person, but also with the older person, the biggest way to leverage and get at that relationship is communicating with them on weekends, believe it or not. Hmm. Everybody is plugged in on weekends. And a lot of the other sellers don't think so. So after 5 o'clock, they're not sending emails, they're not leaving voicemails. The younger folks will actually include their cell phones on their email signatures. So that's a way that you could start communicating with them. You can ask them if it's okay to text, and in some cases they'll say yes. But the biggest way that we're finding success is on the weekends. We can reach people, they are responding, and that includes the senior level decision makers as well, the older folks, is because they want to clear out their inbox before they hit the office at 9 o'clock hmm. the next day or 8.30 whenever they get in, and they will do that on a Sunday night. We will often, and this is also one of our strategies to get past the gatekeeper, is to have people email a high-level decision maker on a Sunday night and then leave a corresponding voicemail that has the same information, let that person know why a meeting would be of benefit to that person, and then ask to give the assistant, if the person has an assistant, permission to put the time on the calendar and that the seller will go ahead and call the assistant the next day at 9 o'clock. Hmm. It's a really interesting strategy. We've had a lot of success with it. So we will call at 9 o'clock the next morning and ask the assistant if the decision maker had given the okay to put the time on the calendar. Seven out of ten times we get the meeting. 
Are you finding that age difference has anything to do with it? And the reason I ask you that is I know that I've spoken to a number of people in our industry that try to sell to these younger promotional products buyers and their typical question will be, well, I'm 55 and I can't relate to a 25-year-old, so either we'll delegate that to a younger team member or I just won't go and sell to that younger customer. Is is that a cop-out in your opinion? Do you think that's just an excuse and that someone who is a generation older can still be effective? I believe that somebody who's a generation older can be effective as long as they give the decision maker the respect that he or she deserves. I think some older sellers feel that they shouldn't have to deal with younger buyers Hmm. and don't end up treating those people with respect or really understanding what drives those people. But as I led off with earlier, it is all about the people, the person individually. What does that person want? What are his or her hopes, dreams, and desires? And they might be very different for a younger person than they are for an older person, but it's a seller's responsibility to understand that and adjust the approach accordingly, but always with respect. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's a brilliant and very, very simple point to just start with the person, to understand their hopes and dreams, to understand what makes them tick. And I think it could work the other way. I I remember when I first started in this business, and Larry, I think you were around the same age as well. We were both in our early 20s, and I was selling within a first year of starting my distributorship, selling to buyers that were in their 50s. And I was like 23 years old. And not to say that I was amazing at it, but it just was, uh, I had some success. And it's, it's interesting that when you treat that buyer with respect and you understand their background and you really dig into it, then the age difference goes away. And it's not like they look at you and say, well, here's who's this kid that's selling to me and, and so on and so forth. And I think that goes back to, you know, understanding all these things means that you're probably, when you get that meeting, you better have a pretty good idea of, of a solution to the issues that they've either addressed with you. But they're only going to give you a chance to build that relationship is if you can provide a solution that somebody else isn't giving to them. So it's sure. understanding the pain point that they're having, and that comes from the, the Karen, you were mentioning asking the right questions or doing your right research, but also, you know, having a solution. And just one other thing, and Mark, you and I again have talked about this in the past, the older generation now I think is more willing to learn from a younger generation than they were years ago where the corporate structure was, you stay in your place and I'll do my job. And now, as even Mark and I both are looking to younger people to kind of reverse mentor us and teach us about the things that are bubbling up, you know, kind of in social media and trying to stay on top of those things. So I think people are open to it, but you have to have the confidence enough to, to recognize that you have to be able to communicate with them on their level and in a language that they also understand. Yeah. And it might be the 50-year-old language, not the 23-year-old language. Karen, switching gears a little bit here, what's interesting about speaking to you is that you've had exposure to selling to multiple industries, not just within the promotional products industry. I'm curious to know whether you feel that, is there anything unique about selling to a promotional products end buyer versus a buyer in another industry? That's an interesting question also from the fact that I was one of those people before as well. And I think we have to segment the different kinds of buyers because I would have different answers for each one of them. So if we just take a look at the marketing person and what is different about a marketing person versus people in other industries, marketing people 
are driven by the need to know things that they don't know. They are responsible for knowing whatever it is that's out there about their brand, the category, the competition. So if somebody has information that will help them to know what they don't know, they will respond to that. And so that's one idea for a promotional product salesperson to think about is what kind of research can these sellers do that will help them to bring information of value mm. to the marketing people because they need to know what they don't know. And that goes to Larry's point, too, about the social media. These people need to be educated about things they don't know. So if somebody can speak to them and provide that kind of value, they're going to just get further. There are a lot of different buyers of promotional products within different areas of the company, but I think the marketing people are so interesting. They speak a, a certain language, and when you sit with them in a meeting, if you can use their language, yeah. they will identify with you better, and you will create a, a feeling of trust faster, and the relationship will progress faster. Having said that, in different industries, it's extremely important to understand not just the lingo. Lingo can be very fluffy. Uh, I'm talking about the real language of the industry. And the more you can use that language correctly, the more you'll create bonds. Hmm. So that's true in marketing, but it's true in other industries as well. Right. So the point is, is that there's not necessarily something that makes a promotional products end buyer unique, but the point is really around understanding the world that they're from. And I think that that's what's exciting and also challenging about selling promotional products because if I'm pitching someone in marketing, then sure, I'm going to need to know all the marketing lingo, but I could walk across the hall and go into the HR department at the same company. And if I'm using marketing lingo, I'm not going to get the sale with the HR person. I've got to be talking about retention and uh, recruiting and all those things. So I, I think it's a great point to really understand what that buyer sees on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you can if you can establish that connection with them, they're going to trust you, as you say. So it's always nice to be reminded of that. <laughs> yeah, the other thing about the marketing folks is that let's say in a structure where you have 10 different brands, you might have a brand manager for each one of those brands, but there's only one director spot. And each one of those brand managers wants to be promoted to the director spot. That's not easy. There's a lot of competition for that. So what they do in their roles, and I don't mean just what gets them to achieving 100% of their goals based on their review, but what gets them to their goals in terms of being promoted is usually a very, very big idea that they can come up with that will drive sales, it'll drive market share, it'll drive profit, and it's better than the ideas that the other people who are at their level had come up with, and that's yeah. why they got promoted. Right. And so understanding what's driving these kinds of people will help the sellers in their approach as well. Right. So they're going to bring them information that will help them to come up with that big idea that will get them to the promotion. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So these people are driven by certain factors that in the HR department, the way they're structured, it's not the same way. The drivers are not the same. They have different drivers. Right. I jokingly say around right sleeve that it's not our job to sell people promotional products. It's actually our job to make them look good in front of their boss. That That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> right. uh, well, that's true. And I've been with a lot of promotional products people when they're trying to come up with 
what to say to get in the door. And they come up with all this jargony buzzwords when the prospect that they're talking to may just really want their stuff on time. Hmm. And so all the other stuff <laughs> won't matter to them. But if you just said, we're the ones who get you what you order on time and exactly where it needs to be, that that may be exactly what would work with that particular prospect. Mark, that's interesting that that's part of because in our written mission statement is is one of the one of the part of that is is we look good by making you look good. So it's it's, it's interesting that those are two things that we've both kind of pulled out of, which is although we make all of our money by selling promotional items, a lot of times less about that specific item because there are hundreds of thousands of items. Mm. It's about making sure it's the right product for the right solution and dealing with the insane deadlines or getting stuff, as Karen mentioned, getting stuff there on time and the right logo and the right place and the right size, all the details that make our job so much more complicated than people realize. But at the end of the day, sometimes the simplicity of just doing everything we promise we're going to do and getting it done right can be the ultimate sales piece. Right. There's a lot of times you can say no surprises in promotional products as well as other industries too. And because the people you're selling to have so often dealt with unpleasant surprises, sometimes just saying those words is a big deal. Well, I think what's interesting, I remember that mantra, no one got fired for buying IBM, or I, I think that's what it is, or some variation of that. If you think about the typical promotional products end user, at least if you're looking at Fortune 500, it's certainly not the CEO. It's several levels below there. And so it's going to be someone who is typically in mid-level, maybe even lower than mid-level, that is taking a chance by buying X thousand squeezy toys from Axis. And right. if they're moving to Axis because Larry's gone in and has given a really slick sales pitch and they've moved away from the incumbent, and Larry messes that up, not that he would. And even though you may not charge them or give them a credit or, or, or do good on it, that person now looks like a fool. And if they look like a fool in front of their boss and their colleagues, then sure, Axis might not get the, the order the next time, but the damage has already been done. And I have really come to believe, particularly with those millennial customers that now I think coming to dominate the promotional products and buyer landscape, that reputation is so critically important. So I, I don't know. I just thought of that, that idea of making it just so that you're de-risking that purchase for them. And then when they look amazing, then you can not charge them anything you want the next time. I'm not suggesting that at all, but price then drops way, way down in terms of the, um, you know, the list of criteria for that buyer. Right, and especially if they've been burned in the past. And when we do the calling and the emailing to get the high-level meetings for promotional products, mm. it's very common that we hit somebody who had a previous bad experience with a different company. Yep. And so there's a sting that goes along with that and discussing that in the messaging, but to the positive that we make sure what you ordered is there on time with no surprises, that to say it in the positive is very reassuring because mm -hmm. everybody has one of those bad experiences. I mean, but if we take that a step further and think about these buyers at any age and what they must be feeling when they have to make a decision to stay with who they know, even if they're not thrilled with the performance, versus try someone completely new, hmm. that's a huge risk 
mm, yeah. for someone to take in that moment of decision. So and when I think about that and I think about the sellers in the promotional products industry that I've come across who want to do everything by email, Mm. And so how are those people supposed to be successful mm. in getting the risk and removing the risk and that feeling for these buyers to make this decision to try someone new when they use only email? Mm. It's, if you think about it, the deck is so stacked against them, it's amazing they're successful that way. This industry, Karen, as I'm sure you've come to learn with your experience with a few promotional product clients, is still very transaction oriented. Suppliers produce catalogs or they produce online catalogs. There's an army of individual salespeople across the continent that will go out and pitch said product to customers. And in many ways, it can be pretty easy to sell a promotional product. You're a nice guy. You, you can sell 144 mugs with a logo on it. You walk away with a nice commission. That's pretty easy. So the reason I mention that background is that Selling the transaction or product selling is easy in this industry, and so that's why it largely persists. So my question is, if you're someone who's listening to this podcast and you're a product seller, transaction seller, and it's done well for you, how do you convince that person that selling strategically as per your model is something that they should try? Well, I guess it depends on the size of the sale that they're happy with. Right. right, and the, the relationship that they truly want. If they're okay with the transactional, which can often be smaller sales, they can walk into that and they can write up an order. But if they want to be seen as a trusted partner, somebody who's going to be listened to, and instead of having a, a certain price item, that maybe they have the ability to make a suggestion and to have an item that's triple the price and the client is still happy with it. Mm. and calls them again and again and refers them to everybody in their organization. So instead of having 1% of the share of sale within any one company, they have 100% share of sale from every decision maker in a company. It's actually from a time invested standpoint with the point of entry being the one person that they're dealing with, they will get a significant return by selling this way as opposed to just being the order taker. In my opinion, I really just think it's a matter of how much effort they want to put in and how much they want to get back. Right. Larry, what are your thoughts? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. I completely agree. I mean, I think that's going to kind of lead to my next question is, is that there's a methodology to it. And when Karen was doing some training here, Karen said, use whatever system works for you. If it's your calendar, then use your calendar. If it she had a very simple Excel spreadsheet that I might get this wrong, but it was like, you know, the, the prospect list. It was kind of where you kept your ongoing conversation and notes. It was a dead list, so don't leave it on your prospect list. If they said don't ever call me again, move it off your dead list. But it was just keep it simple, have a place we can go and do quiet. So I think it was all about having a system that made it work the best for lots of people and having giving them the flexibility. And that was going to kind of lead to my next question is that, you know, when we do these podcasts, we want people, I mean, I think there's an incredible takeaway already in this, but are there a few things that if someone hung up the phone and listened to this podcast, where it's put out and says, wow, I could take these tidbits and I'm going to go right now and make a call or get my list organized. Are there some tidbits that you want to leave people with or share that might help? I guess what I would leave them with, especially when it comes to getting in the door, if you wanted to focus there, 
There are a lot of people who say to me that they want more meetings and they don't understand why they're not getting them. And when people ask us to help them figure out why are they not getting more meetings, we look in five areas, and that's what I'm going to suggest the people who are listening do if they feel they should be getting more meetings and they don't understand why they're not. The five areas include there's usually a problem in one or more of the areas. Either their target list is not the exact right target list. And that could mean companies, it could mean the decision maker level, it could mean the certain departments. So there may be a problem in the target. The second area is message. You may not be saying exactly what is going to be most compelling to the people who you want to meet. So look at your message. What are you saying? And is it strong enough to have somebody on the other end of the phone or the other side of the email clear their calendar for a half an hour to an hour with you. The third area is the answers for the objections. Are they strong enough? Are you able to answer the objections when you face them? If you're facing the same objection over and over again, guess what? You need a better answer. <laughs> so go back to the drawing board. And we have some methodologies for doing objection makeovers to get stronger answers for objections. Hmm. So we talked about target, message, answers for objection. The fourth area is the salesperson doing the selling. Are you the right person? Do you really want to do the job of getting in the door? Is there somebody who's better for that? Are you better at the meetings? Are you better at closing? Who is the best person for that job? The fifth area is the process that the salesperson is using. Sometimes when people say, I'm doing everything right, target, message, answers for the objections, yes, I'm the right person, I'll say, how much time are you putting into this weekly? And if they're really honest, they may say they only have an hour or two a week to put into getting in the door. Well, guess what? That's not enough. Yeah. Or they might call people on a Friday and not again for three months. That doesn't work either. So the fifth area is the process. So when people take a look at each of these five areas, they could self-identify what they aren't doing right, and hopefully they will change it, and that should change their results. Karen, I'm just looking at the time here, and I think we've probably got time for maybe one or two more questions, and we want to leave you with a final word. And I also want to make sure that at the very end that I'm going to direct listeners to the podcast to some resources if they're interested in learning a little bit more about you, Karen. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly end off on that. Okay. That said... I'm going to ask you one more question, and I know we'd love to have you back for another couple of versions of this podcast because this has been so interesting. I read somewhere, I think it was on your site, Karen, and I quote, too often the process of opening new prospect doors receives minimal attention by business owners and salespeople in terms of time spent, consistency, and touch point strategy. Why is this? Well, there was a study I came across not that long ago, that said that out of all the things that the salespeople are doing in the course of the week for their 40 hours, if they're spending 40 hours, that nine of those hours are spent on selling. And that includes all aspects of selling, from lead generation to account maintenance, all of those things. And the other things are spending their time on travel, administration, servicing, order processing, planning, like the, that's what they're spending their time on, but nine hours out of 40 are dedicated to selling. That's not a lot of time, especially if you think about lead generation as just a 
part of that. Mm. And why does that happen? There are a lot of reasons. I mean, in the promotional products industry, this is a very immediate turnaround business. And so when your client calls and they need something tomorrow, everything gets put on hold. Yep. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do either because you service your clients, your clients come back, but it makes it extremely difficult to fit new business development into your busy day. So a lot of times it's just that there's not enough time and consistent time that's being spent. I think people don't, they don't track their follow-up either. So they can't build on a relationship that they've started with a prospect because they have no idea where they left off. There's no touch point strategy of last week it was a voicemail, this week I'm going to send an email, or I read something and now I'm going to talk to this person. There is not enough of a methodology and process that I've seen with enough sellers in the promotional products industry in order to be as successful as I believe they can be if they just incorporate some of these ideas. Great points. Larry, do you have a final question before we get into some of the resources here? Well, I, this might be the perfect question to end on and be a good lead-in for you, Mark, is, Karen, let us hear your elevator pitch. <laughs> okay. So if, if I'm going to be calling a business owner and I want to have the business owner think about whether the door opener service might be of benefit and something to learn more about, I might say, hi, this is Karen Cobb from Cobb Consulting. We do new business development, and we can help get you initial meetings with your most important prospects. In fact, one of our clients was recently awarded a place on the Profit 100 list. They grew 132% in the last three years and credit our door opener service for getting them large national accounts. If this kind of growth is important to you, let's find time to talk about how we might be able to help you as well. Please call me at 908-781-7546. Speak with you soon. Woo! <laughs> Gold. <laughs> on, the, on the hot seat. Right. That, was, that was great. So give me one other favor, then we'll let Mark give you the, the final uh, introduction. But just identify, because I, you know, as I listened to it and having done this with you before, identify like the three or four and, and components of that, because there were definitely stages of that message that were all kind of important and well-crafted. Sure. It's like six to seven sentences max. Conversationality will excuse length. So I'm not saying to have a long message. You want to be short, but the more conversational you are, you could squeeze in an extra sentence. The first is my name and my company name, very important, because if they delete the message right after that, I have some awareness going, and, and that's important. So telling them exactly what we do in language that's relevant and compelling to them, that's the second sentence. The third, and sometimes the fourth, we might be able to do two sentences or just one, is your statement of expertise and credibility. What is it about what you do that would be of such benefit to the decision maker that they should clear the calendar for you? And then the call to action. What do you want out of this? Do you want a meeting? Do you want a phone call? What do you want? So I'm suggesting that we find time to talk about how we can help them. And then the phone number, slowly, with spaces in between the digits. I don't recommend repeating the phone number. It's not necessary. Mm. Just put spaces in between the digits. And then whatever goodbye part is, is uh, most comfortable. 
looking forward to talking to you soon or talk soon or have a great day, what, whatever it is at the end. The messages have to be varied. If I was going to call that person back the following week, I cannot leave that same message. No. It's a great point. One of the things that stood out to me was that everybody's skeptical when they get these calls, and then you gave them a little bit to pique their interest by saying, one, one of our clients just had this amazing growth, and if you're looking for that kind of growth, well, who isn't? So you, you gave them something that added credibility to your, to your sales pitch. They know they're being sold from the time they pick up the message, but now you've made them, you've given them something to really be interested in and say, you know what, maybe this is worthwhile taking five minutes and returning that phone call. Right, and then we have to have an email that says similar points. I have a video testimonial from the client who just won that, so I might include that, maybe not on the first email, but maybe on a subsequent email, that here's the testimonial and listen to the client talking about the growth that that company has achieved and why the door opener service got them there. But all of this is thought out ahead of time. None of this is happening off the cuff. Right. And that's a really important point. I think a lot of times sellers will have a couple of things on their to-do list, and one of them is calling back a prospect. And they don't think about where they left off and how are they going to get what they want now. What is the right approach? What is the right content? It only takes 60 seconds to think of what this approach should be and what the content should be. It doesn't take mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. And they will get further if they do it. If they don't, they're just going to leave a message that sounds like a low-level telemarketer, and they're not going to get anywhere. It has to sound customized and relevant. Right. Wow. Wow. Karen, thank you so much. This has been so fascinating just to not only be interviewing you, but also I'm taking notes here too, so <laughs> I think it's great, and, and and certainly thank you on behalf of everyone in Promo Kitchen, and certainly the people that are listening to this, so I think this will be very, very popular. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to refer you to some resources of Karen's, all of which will be published in the show notes on promokitchen.com. Firstly, she can be found on the web at copconsultingusa.com, and that's K-O-P-P consultingusa.com, not like a police officer. K-O-P-P-ConsultingUSA.com. Her book is titled The Path to the Cash, The Words You Need to Bypass Those Darned Prospect Objections, and that's available for sale exclusively through her website. Her blog is also excellently written and can be found at CopConsultingUSA.com slash blog. And then finally, she has a CD that has got several of these great sales tips and door opening tips, and it's entitled Every Word Matters. And Karen would be more than happy to send out a copy of that if you contact her. Her contact information is easily found at CopConsultingUSA.com. So with that, thank you so much, and we look forward to revisiting this in the next little while. Karen, you've been wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being with you both. Thank you so much.